This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Navy's spending has increased every year since 2014, but that battleship could start coming around next year. The administration's request is for a 1% decrease to $207 billion. For where the pain points might be, we turn to Bloomberg government senior defense analyst Rob Levinson. And Rob, your thesis is that 1% reduction is actually quite a profound change for the Navy. Tell us what's going on. Well, yeah, it's really a profound reduction because that 1% reduction, of course, is is before inflation. When you factor factor in uh, inflation, you know, it's probably a 2 2.5% to 3% uh, reduction in the Navy's uh, overall buy. And, you know, there's some some big cuts proposed in this is budget you know they uh it, it, they want to buy one submarine uh, one uh, instead of two submarines um you know and some and and cut back on what the shipbuilding plan was now congress of course is going to get to weigh in on this but you know the navy's experiencing what and it, and this is not just true for the navy the other services too the the administration after some pretty steady and hefty increases since 2014 um, you know, even going back to the previous administration now is looking to a, a pretty flat budget going forward for the next five years in defense. And looking at some of the charts you've published here for what's ahead in at least historically, that is 18, 19 or 17, 18 and 19, the huge effect of the F-35 acquisition on the whole thing. Yeah, I mean the F-35 is is a big, you know, expensive program in, in you know, it's the most expensive weapons program in 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 Pentagon history really uh, across the three services, the Marine Corps, the Army and the uh Marine Corps, the Air Force and the Navy that are buying it. And now of course you've seen in the latest Marine Corps plan they're already talking about maybe cutting back on the size of the F-35 buy for the Marine Corps. Um, you know, the, the, these these budgetary things are, are sort of budgetary uh, chickens are coming home to roost, if you will, um, and the Navy's really struggling with this. You know, it wants to get to 355 ship uh, fleet, but the, the money just doesn't seem to be there for it. Because if you look at the defense strategy writ large, the idea is for the Navy to have a bigger and bigger role because we're not expecting to send a million troops to a land war overseas but it's a very different environment and different way of taking on the world's challenges. So it seems like the Navy is the last one you would want to cut given the new doctrine. Yeah, that's a real problem. I mean, obviously, the the sort of the emerging threat that everybody's kind of focused on is China. And, of course, the Pacific theater is mainly uh, a naval theater. You know, there's lots and lots of water and a few islands, and the Navy, uh, you know, would play a primary role in any conflict in that region. Uh, At the same time, you know... uh, one of the things that still remains somewhat untouchable is the balance between the services. Like you say, you know, the strategy might indicate you should weight the Navy perhaps more, but, you know, this overall sort of a third and a third, a third balance between the three services, uh, counting the Marine Corps part of the Navy, really, um, y- y- you have difficulty there breaking that framework uh, to say, no, we, you know, we really need to put more in the Navy and, and cannibalize, you know, either the Army or the Air Force. And now, of course, you've got the Space Force to contend with as well. So this 1% cut that is proposed anyhow by the administration coming next year, where will that fall and what will the effects be? Is it mostly in procurement or is it in what? Yeah, well, they've they've cut back a, a, a bit on the procurement. Like I say, they've reduced the ship buy from what they planned. They reduced the submarine buy. And uh, now it's not so much in this budget, but in the next budget, the Marine Corps is talking about reducing the F-35 buy. I mean, that's the easiest place to go for money. You know, and, and, and all of these calculations, of course, were done before the coronavirus hit. 
So, you know, that throws new calculations both into the overall budget picture, you know, going forward, but also the Navy, you know, obviously been hit hard by the coronavirus. We all know the saga of the, the Teddy Roosevelt. And what does that mean for Navy ship design and how the Navy operates? There's some hard questions there that are going to have to be answered. So a lot of stresses is, you know, the 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 uh, the costs of the Navy, the operational costs, you know, just keep going up faster than the rate of inflation, the personnel costs. And, and those are just really hard to get a handle on. And the only way you can really, you know, pay for those is with procurement cuts. We're speaking with Rob Levinson, senior defense analyst at Bloomberg Government. Yes, that was the point I was going to ask you about. Given that so many of the costs are fixed, if you have a certain size force level and you know what your health care costs are going to be and eventually your retirement costs and salaries and so forth, there's not a lot of wiggle room in those as there is in procurement. Would that be a good way to put it? Yeah, I mean, procurement is the easiest, easiest, you know, sort of way to roll things back. You know, you just simply sort of stretch, you know, push the buy to the right. Of course, sometimes that may increase your unit cost because you're not getting the, you know, sort of the, the benefit of, of purchasing by volume, you know, in a lower price. But, but that's sort of the easiest thing. The personnel costs, you know, nobody wants to cut benefits. But, of course, the other problem that the Navy challenges is they want to get more ships. That means more sailors and more training. And and so your personnel costs go up along with your, you know, your your procurement costs and your your O and M costs. So it's it's a really tough squeeze that the Navy finds itself in. And from the contractor standpoint, what does all this look like? What should they be doing? And who's going to be the winners and who's going to be the losers? Well, you know, there's a lot of money still going into sort of IT and services. Um, I think the biggest thing, and you and you see this in the discussion with the Navy, is probably in the unmanned space. The Navy's recognizing that they're going to have to go to to more unmanned vessels. There, there's one proposal out there to cut two aircraft carriers and, and replace a lot of that with unmanned. So the unmanned surface and the unmanned underwater vehicles. And we're seeing uh, huge growth in that. Uh, I think uh, from 2019 to 2021, we've got 129% growth in the budget for unmanned vessels. That's for procurement and, and, and RDT&E. So, you know, I think the unmanned space and then all those services, you know, and big contracts like C-Port-E and NextGen, those things, uh, you know, that's, that's where a lot of the money is going to be. And if you go from a manned submarine, say, to something that's unmanned and what that would look like, I have no idea. I imagine it would not be as big as a manned submarine. Is that the same supplier base that can make that switch or is this a whole bunch of new non-traditional types of players that – no autonomy, say, better than whoever it is that builds ships and submarines. Well, I, I, I do think, I mean, the traditional players, the General Dynamics and the Huntington Ingalls and people like that are, are, are still going to be big players, but it does open up the space, I think, for some, you know, more uh, smaller companies and, and more, uh, you know, those, yeah, that have been working on autonomy in all kinds of areas, uh, uh, artificial intelligence. I think it does open up some space for them because, yeah, you know, to build a Virginia class or a, a Columbia class submarine, that takes a huge shipyard and a lot of infrastructure, and only a few companies really have that. Um, in some cases, only one company really has that. But you get down to smaller vessels and, and more technology focus. yes, I do think you open up the space a bit for some of the non-traditional. That doesn't mean that, the, like, the General Dynamics, the Huntington Ingalls, the Lockheeds are going to go away, but it does mean that there's some new space, I think, available. And then there's the issue of Congress, because uh, presuming we have a divided Congress, at least to establish the 2021 budget, it's really hard to say how this could fall out then. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, there, there, there's a lot. Like I say, we, we've got some uh, some new variables. Of course, the whole Corona variable and the costs and the tremendous spending that we've had to, uh, you know, put in place to try and, and save the economy for that. Uh, you've got an election coming up in November. You could change the White House. You could change the the prospects in the Senate, the the control there, uh, even the House. So yeah, there's a lot of variables to see how this shakes out. Plus, Congress, like you say, procurement in terms of budgetary. Uh, math is the easiest to go after, but it's it's not politically the easiest to go after because those programs are are big and they employ lots of people in key congressional districts and and members, you know, hate to scale back on that stuff. All right. Anything else that the contractors ought to be uh, paying attention to with respect to the Navy and the Marine Corps? I think there's there's a lot of variables still in the equation, and it's going to be very interesting to see how this shakes out in the in the whole budgetary process, but. You know, overall, for all defense contractors, sort of the era of rapid and big growth in the defense budget, it appears that that is going to be over for a while. And this has always been sort of cyclical. We've been on a, on a high, and I think that's going to level off or even come down a bit. And most people seem to seem to think that's a very realistic expectation. Rob Levinson, a senior defense analyst at Bloomberg Government. As always, thanks so much. Pleasure to be with you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash Podcast One to learn more and start your free trial.